happy Monday, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. And today we have a very cool special. I've been kind of reflecting on how, you know, I I just have such great and inspiring people around me and especially those that I went to school with or are my colleagues from Harvard. So I think today we're going to start a new special series in the podcast, which is hearts and minds of great Harvard people. I'm not sure if that's going to be the official title, but something to do with these cool conversations with folks that I'm just so honored to be in the company of, um, just really uplifting some of my brilliant peers. And to kick it off, I have Mr. Charles Burchell. And what I have to say about this discussion is that it's just so filled with wisdom of Charles. I've known him for over 10 years, about 10 years now. And uh, we speak about, almost chronologically, from the time that he was a student and his early practice of being a musician and being in the very school environment, strong school environment of Boston and becoming everything from that to fulfilling his spirit work and being a creative diplomat and starting a business and a company where he can make samples with other artists and musicians um, being a father, he's living in Rome now from New Orleans. It's such, it's just such an insightful conversation. And I'm really excited to share this with you. I feel like there's so much maturity in what he shares with us. And, you know, every time I get to speak with Charles, it is such an honor. So I'm excited for you to take a listen to our discussion. Just before we jump in, everyone, a friendly reminder to check out my website, evelisagenova.com. That's where I have workshops and speaking available. Or if you'd like to check out my art, it is evelisa.com. And letting everyone know that I do have a TED Talk coming up this month, January 22nd. And we'll be speaking about exactly what we explore in this podcast. How can the arts, one of the oldest forms of storytelling, be used to help us build more equitable and inclusive microcultures within our companies and our organizations? It's a human tool of communication, of connection. There's lots of research documenting how the arts help us build a sense of belonging and understanding across differences. And we need some of those very things to build authentic inclusion. So check out the the TED Talk, pardon me, uh, at the end of this month. You can also follow my journey on TikTok at evelisa.art. I'm not the uh, best social media person, but it's it's a new journey into the TED Talk, TikTok world. So with that, folks, I like to introduce my conversation with Charles Burchell. Cool. So my dear Charles, I'm so happy you're here. And how do you like to introduce yourself in whichever way? And that can include way you're raised, your spiritual identity, um, where you live now, anything like that. Up to you. 
Okay. Well, my name is Charles Burchell. Uh, I go by Black Samurai as a music producer. I'm a music producer, educator, uh, DJ, rapper sometimes, uh, and I'm a cultural diplomat. And I would say that, yeah, I'm well, one important thing about me, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, and I consider myself an ambassador for New Orleans culture and music. Um, and I think that the my being from New Orleans and uh, now I live in Rome, Italy, so I live I live abroad. Um, it it's given me a different appreciation for my home and where I'm from. Um, I can definitely see the parallels and how um, how New Orleans kind of stands out in America. It's definitely a more European city than anywhere else in the states, and um, there's a lot that I think I appreciate. Um, from there's a lot I appreciate about being here and being in Europe and there's a lot that I appreciate from growing up um, where I did in America because I kind of feel like New Orleans is such a unique place within the United States it's very different from the rest of the United States and so there's always a kind of disconnect I feel from the rest of the United States so living abroad is also kind of Although it is challenging, it doesn't feel too different because I feel like being from New Orleans, I was already like an outsider in the rest of the, the United States. Like my culture is is very different. Obviously, it's still American culture, but I think there is a, a spirit in New Orleans and the way that people interact, where we talk, where our music and food has influenced the entire country and the entire world too, to some degree. It's that... Um, it kind of is like its own international calling card. Like anywhere I go in the world, especially if I'm working in music, if I tell people I'm from New Orleans, it's like there's almost a, you know, a bit of reverence um, for that. So, you know, I think that I've been able to appreciate that more now that I don't, now that I'm not in the country. And now that I've been here for some time, when I go back, um, I definitely can appreciate that. So, um, yeah, I will say that, Besides just being um, a musician and an educator, uh, being a representative of New Orleans in my hometown is something that I hold uh, very highly. I love that. I love how living in different places has allowed you to to build this deeper appreciation for where you come from, you know, perspective taking almost. And we'll get into more of the kind of the diplomacy and the representation of where you come from in that more, your experience with that and maybe even more formal ways. But I'd love to know just now that you are living in Rome, how, what that actually feels and looks like day to day in Italy specifically, because New Orleans has that French influence. It's more of that, um, you know, from from that type of European perspective from, uh, so how how does it feel showing up as someone from New Orleans in Italy specifically in Rome? Uh, I find a lot of parallels because um, New Orleans is a place that is very laid back and things are very, uh, you know, they, they, go at a, they go at a different pace than I would say a lot of other places. And definitely here in Rome, things are very laid back. And I mean that in good ways and bad ways. And I think that's kind of also very similar to the way things go in New Orleans. Like people are laid back, but so is the bureaucracy. So is, 
some things involving like education, you know, and in Italy it's the same. It's like, yeah, things are laid back, but if you want to get anything done on the bureaucratic side, it can be a, a, a hassle and a big headache. Um, so there's kind of this like dance that you have to play where it's like, you have to accept that the pace is different and, you know, you kind of have to slow your pace down, which is cool because I think, you know, in other places in the States, like people from New Orleans, I was saying, but in general are more relaxed and have a different pace about them. That's different than other places in the United States. And so I feel like my natural pace is more in alignment with uh, Rome, specifically in Italy. Um, but I do think it was kind of jarring coming here because I was coming from living on the East Coast for a long time. So I had this kind of like go, go, go energy. Yeah. And, and things don't necessarily work that way here. But also people value quality of life here more than I think they do in the States. And I feel like New Orleans is also one of those places where we value quality of life and quality of life, meaning just actually living and enjoying your life, enjoying the food, enjoying family. Um, you know, enjoying even just taking walks. Like I feel like what's embedded in the culture here is leisure and not so much leisure as in being lazy, but like understanding your life is not just about working and that the simple things that maybe people in America take for granted are profound here. Like family is super yes. important. You know, meals are super important. Mm-hmm. You know, even pleasantries are things that we in America are not like a thing like getting a coffee with somebody here, it's really, you know, that's a part of a social dynamic where obviously people in the States, you know, they, they go to coffee shops, but it's almost like that's its own thing now. Like a coffee shop is a whole different vibe where here, you know, they have bars and you, you just go get your coffee. Like any anytime is a good time to get a coffee here. Well, I feel like in America, it's like, yeah, I got to get this giant <laughs> cup of coffee in the beginning of the day. And like, you know, it's just a different vibe. So I do appreciate that it's really more focus on quality of life rather than quantity of things do you feel like you're able to be with your family or in a way that was that's different than what you expected coming from america is it like are you do you feel like you have a better almost work-life balance or emphasis on family in a way you may not have never have expected or are you feeling like because you are from new orleans and the uniqueness of that it's actually more in alignment with what you always felt? Uh, I don't, I think work-life balance is always hard, no matter what um, and where you are. I definitely am more family focused and oriented here, maybe than I would be in the States because uh, I don't have as many distractions as, you know, I don't have many distractions, so I'm, I'm at, I work from home, and you know I get to I pick my kids up from school, I bring them to school, so I get to you know spend a lot of time with them. And I think that if I were in the states, I might be more focused on working. Not that I'm not focused on working, but I think I'd have more physical obligations to work than what I do here, uh, and I think that would take away from uh, my family time. So. Yeah, definitely. I definitely do get to focus more on family and which is something I I really appreciate about living here. And I think that's also something I appreciate from just being immersed in this culture that you really see why people value 
their family and why it's important um, to like, you know, have a meal with everybody sitting at the table rather than, you know, okay, one person eats whenever they get hungry, you know, scattered or whatever. Like every night we sit down and eat dinner together. And uh, that to me is really, really important. Mm, I love that. That's so special healing. Um, so speaking a bit more about you, Charles, and your journey, can you say briefly, like you're, you know, you you went to school in Boston, you were at the Boston Conservatory, you have that music background. Can you speak a little bit more just about some of the choices you made for your own education and why and how that contributed to your own like artistic development? And then we'll get into you know, your creative self now. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. I'll, I'll do a little clarification. So I didn't go to Boston Conservatory, actually. I went to the New England Conservatory, which is down the street from Boston Conservatory. Okay. But it's, 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 it can, yeah, it can be easily confused, <laughs> the two. Um, but I loved uh, going to New England Conservatory, actually is the oldest conservatory in America. And they're also the first school to start a jazz program. Um, and so I, I studied jazz there and it was really informative. I think actually what I benefited the most from was not the stuff that I was studying in my major, but being able to like study music from different parts of the world. Like I studied Greek music, I studied Indian music, I studied various African forms of music, Afro-Cuban music, as well as uh, Western classical music and also film scoring like I think those things really informed me a lot but also Boston itself is just such a rich environment for school so I was able to collaborate with people at Boston Conservatory I was able to collaborate with people at Berkeley I was able to collaborate with people at Emerson I was able to collaborate with people at MIT Northwestern uh, Northeastern and of course Harvard as well so I think just being in Boston in general was such a good decision as far as my studies because uh, my options were either to, to go to school in New Orleans, go to school in New York, or go to school in Boston. Um, and I think there were a couple other places that I know I didn't want to be somewhere kind of uh, like in a place I didn't have any familiar familiarity with. Like I didn't know anybody there. I didn't necessarily want to go to college. So never without a couple of schools. But yeah, I think I don't know. I will still always be very grateful for the time I spent in Boston because it was such a fertile learning environment, just not just from my school, but just being in a city with 77 colleges or something like that. Like, you know, absolutely, it's just a large community of people doing different things, you know. So uh, even even um, the transition from New England Conservatory to Harvard, um, I was already at Harvard, like a lot. My band, in fact, started because we got asked to play an event at Harvard. And so they needed a band. And I had an idea for a band that I wanted to start. So it just, it was an opportunity. But yeah, and then I was actually starting, yeah, while I was at New England Conservatory, there's a bar at Harvard called the Queenshead Pub. Yeah. And somehow I, man I was managing, like, doing monthly showcases for the musicians from the Berkeley New England Conservatory kind of community. I was booking shows there at the Queen's Head Pub for them. So it was kind of like uh, I was building this community, like connecting the people from the music school with the people at Harvard. And, you know, then it was just like a natural transition. Then once I actually started going there, because I'd already 
had built a community of people I knew there. So even when I was there and I was meeting this new community, you know, you and all the people at the ed school, I already kind of had a separate community of people I already knew who were either doing their undergraduate studies or completed their undergraduate studies and now we're in grad school too. So I don't think if I, I think if I had been somewhere else uh, beforehand, I don't think I would have even applied to go to Harvard or, you know, thought about doing that is I think it made it easier for me because I was already in the community so yeah it didn't feel like such a a big jump and it was also like my art teacher at New England Conservatory um oh man her name was Ruth right no Robin Dash yes there we go she told me she was like you need to apply for this program she sent me in in art was like my last elective it was like okay I got to graduate so now I'm finally taking art. Mm. And uh, she was so nice. And she was like, yeah, you need to do this program. I sent another student to this. I think you should do this. Because I wanted to go to New York right after school. Because yeah. I was still heavily like, I'm a jazz musician. I got to go to New York. That's where things are happening. Boom, boom, boom. And I want to go to NYU, study film and stuff. And yeah, I wasn't really planning to study education. But <clears throat> when she suggested this program, I said, why not? And yeah, it just so happened I got in. So that. <laughs> that was a big shift in my life. And I'm grateful to Robin Dash for that. Mm. My art, my last visual arts teacher. <laughs> Did you ever thank her after? Oh, uh, many times. So good. That's Because <laughs> I, I would still go by, I used, I still lived by New England Conservatory while I was at Harvard. Yes. I would still go by there all the time. That's so good those relationships, which, what creative relationships carried over to this day? And I'm sort of hinting at love experiment, but like, how did that evolve since then? Uh, Well, specifically, I guess with that. So the love experiment was a band I started while I was at New England Conservatory in my sophomore year. And it was just kind of a group of all my friends at the time. And some people from Berkeley, some people from New England Conservatory. And yeah, it was really just like, I wanted to put together a group of musicians who I thought were super great, but not necessarily getting a lot of attention because, you know, music school dynamics are different than college because it's kind of like with music schools, everyone's already a professional musician or semi-professional musician. And so there is like, yes, we're in school, but people are also trying to develop their career and they're also trying to some some people already are in their careers and already doing big things so it sometimes can be very competitive and I think I wanted to create a space that wasn't about being competitive but it was just about creating great music and creating music that people could connect to and at the time I was personally going through a lot with like my like relationships so I wanted to write music that could speak on issues of love and things that I was going through um and yeah so that kind of started that and that was a way that also helped me branch the two communities from New England Conservatory and um, Berkeley and that was but also what was great about that is because on a on a flight back from Panama um I met this kid and we started talking he was an audio engineer student at Emerson so then he basically helped us produce our first demo, and then got us a bunch of shows at Emerson. So we would go on the radio. They have a radio station, WERS, I believe. That's the plays on Boston. Like, it's, it's a radio station in Boston. And so during that time, basically, I had 
the band would rehearse at New England Conservatory, consisted of New England Conservatory and Berkeley students. We would record at Emerson. We would perform on the radio at Emerson. We performed shows at Harvard. Um, and then we would also do like shows at different spots around Boston. So it, it just became this vehicle to kind of connect all these different communities uh, mm -hmm. within the Boston area. And I think, yeah, for a certain period of time, like, you know, we kind of had like a bit of local notoriety. I don't think it really expanded beyond <laughs> Boston that much, but for a time we were pretty popular and that was cool because we were just touching all these different communities, which, you know, there are so many schools in Boston, but a lot of times everyone stays in their own yeah. little world, you know? So I kind of like to think that during those times, it's like through this vehicle, this band, we were able to like create and connect so many different communities of people who were otherwise stay, you know, in their own little world. So I was, yeah, reflecting on that access was, was really, that was a really great time, but also just like thinking about how we really kind of covered every area in Boston. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was great. <laughs> loved your impression, loved your mark. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it sounds like from that, it was really about connection, uh, bringing people together for the sake of the music really. And maybe this theme of connection, how does, maybe you can speak about your experience with creative diplomacy. You spoke to me a little bit about it before in Rome, but how would you introduce it, the the work you have done and the work that you kind of aspire to do or, or wanting to work on when it comes to creative diplomacy? Like, how would you describe that to someone who's like, what, diplomacy, art, what? Um, so I started doing this type of work before I realized that's what I was doing. Um, just traveling to other countries and doing teaching in these other countries and uh, working with embassies. Um, I would say I started doing that really um, in 2009 when, as I mentioned earlier, when I was coming back from Panama, the reason I was in Panama was because I was performing at the Panama Jazz Festival that was run by this jazz musician, Danilo Perez, who's from Panama. He was teaching at New England Conservatory. So what would happen is every year they would select a group of students um, from all um, like levels in the college to apply to go to this festival. So my freshman year, I got in to the the ensemble. So I was a part of this ensemble with pretty much all grad students, which was crazy. It was me and everybody else was a grad student at the time. And we went to Panama to perform, but also we did master classes and all this stuff. And I just remember like those performances and those classes being like profound, just to see like the gratitude um, that the people we interacted with had and how our performances kind of touched them. I was like, oh, wow. Because I think at that point I was 19 and I'd, I'd been out of the country one time before then. I'd been to to a place called Marciac, France. And um yeah, it was just like, oh, okay. But this, this was the first trip where I felt like, okay, I'm having an impact. This music was having an impact. People are not only grateful for the music, but they're grateful for like these classes that we're providing or just us talking about our craft. Um, and then just every year started becoming more and more going to Puerto Rico and then I started going to Europe. And um, the thing that really, but I didn't know what was, I just thought, yeah, I'm traveling and I'm also teaching too. But the thing that shifted and where I realized, okay, this is diplomacy work, was in 2015, I got uh, accepted to a program 
called Next Level, which is a program, it's an actual diplomacy program run by the University of North Carolina and uh, the U.S. State Department and an organization called Meridian. And basically what they do is they send hip hop artists all around the world to do workshops and to perform and help develop young artists. And so I did that at the time I was teaching at Carnegie Hall and my, my co-teacher and my mentor is this amazing artist named Tony Blackman. And she was in the first cohort of people who did this program next level. And she recommended I do it and it was life changing. We went to El Salvador and we were down there for a couple of weeks and we worked with the local artists there and produced a lot of music, did a lot of shows. And it was great because at that time, I think like a Vice documentary had just come out claiming that El Salvador is like one of the most dangerous countries in the world. But then when we got down there, it's like the truth of it is just like any other place there, you know, lots of great people and you know, just people trying to, to survive and do their thing. And so also just seeing how music was so alive and how hip hop was creating this different community in a whole a whole different country. I was like, wow, okay, this is this is crazy. Like, you know, like they're all you know, this is a completely different country. This is not America, but it has its own vibrant hip hop scene. It has its own community of creators, dancers, graffiti artists all these things and I was like okay wow and and every you know these uh students who were like young adults at the time like not really you know high school age but like you know in their 20s and stuff they're you know utilizing their skill sets and developing themselves as professional artists to tell their stories and impact their communities and they really embraced us all you know uh they Technically, we weren't supposed to, like, they didn't want us to leave our hotels after the workshop. They just wanted us to do the workshop, stay in the hotel, because, you know, the travel advisory is, like, a high level of danger. But wow. once, I, once I knew the, got to know the participants, like, they took me everywhere, and it was great. And I didn't feel unsafe. Like, it was great, you know? And I got to really get immersed in the culture. And what I really loved about the program is that there are no agendas. Like, we're not there to tell people America any of this stuff we're just there to you know we're just there to share and I think that was for me the great thing because it, the diplomacy work wasn't with the intention of I have to sell America it was just I'm spreading my culture and having an exchange with you and your culture that's it love that people just being able to be their authentic selves without an agenda that that's awesome um I want to be mindful of the time, but maybe you can speak a little bit about what you've created lately, what you've been working on lately, and what you're excited for 2023. Mm, yeah, so uh, lately, like the last couple of years, I have started a company. It's called LEX Sounds. It, basically, what we do is we make samples for music producers. So we make music for other musicians to use in their own productions. And I've been doing this uh for the last like two years and lex stands for the love experiment so, so this label is kind of extension of my band which now is everyone spread out all around the country and right. around the world if you include me so this is kind of how i've evolved that original idea from like over a decade ago into something new so i'm continuing the thread of of my band but now it's a, a larger thing and it's been really great. Um, 
we we distribute our samples on a website called Splice, which is uh, like the largest online platform for music production. And uh, it's been really, really great. We've had people use our samples on some pretty big songs. Some of my favorite producers have used some of the samples. So it's been really, really um, inspiring for me. And it's allowed me to also pretty much just work from home and then also connect with all the musicians that I love, a lot of my friends, and not only collaborate with them, but, you know, give them opportunities to make money because the pandemic was really hard for musicians as it was hard for everybody. But, you know, without live performance, a lot of myself, but also a lot of my friends were just unable to work, period. So it was in this space that I realized it's like, okay, we I need to build an infrastructure that doesn't require me performing, you know? Absolutely. So this has been something that's been really great. And now I'm shifting to not only doing that, but getting back to releasing more music as an artist. So I'm producing my band still, like our next record, um, as well as solo projects for myself and also records for people who are involved with my with the label. Um, because we have a lot of different, like maybe 20 different artists contribute to the label. So trying to transition from just selling samples to actually putting out complete records and, and music, which is really the original idea of what my band was supposed to be. My idea wasn't necessarily to have a band, but to have a collective of different artists. So this label now has helped me to create the community of artists that is still pretty much the same people that I knew in college, but expanded even more. It's allowed me to create that community and support that community of people that whose music I love, including my own, and have a vehicle to help myself, but also the artists that I love support themselves. So I feel very much in tune with mm -hmm. my purpose. And it's one of those things of like, if I could tell people who are creatives or just working on their dreams and passions, it's like you have to not give up on yourself, but be willing to allow an idea to expand and grow and evolve. So I'm still doing something that the root of it started in 2010 and it's 2023 so like 13 years you know but it's evolved from Word. what it used to be you know so that to me is also great because I can look back and see like wow even though it's different it's still the seed of it was still you know a bunch of college kids um you know jamming and then playing shows all over Boston and evolving and traveling the world and traveling the country and now we have this 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 infrastructure that allows people from all over the world to engage with our sounds and use it in their own music. So, it, mm -hmm. and even that was the intention when I started the band. I was like, I want to be one of the most sampled bands in history. Which there's nope. traditional sampling where people actually take your records and sampling, but this there's a new infrastructure with creating sample packs and websites like Splice. So, a lot of my packs, the first ones have been downloaded like over a million times. And, we got like awards for it and stuff. So it's the original intentions of what I wanted to do when I kind of set out in this artistic journey, they're coming to fruition now. And it's been like over a decade. So a lot of times I tell people like, especially young people who are trying to pursue something creative, it's like, there's no easy roadmap, but be willing to at least put in a decade if you really believe in it. Like, yeah. you know, like don't, it can happen fast. Anything can happen fast. But I think if you're doing something that you want to last forever, if you want to, if you want to do work, artistic work, that's 
in alignment with whatever your highest purpose is, then it's a commitment that can that you have to be willing to commit your life to it. You know, so I think that even though I've been doing this thing that's expanded over the last ten years, I just feel like I'm at the very beginning of it right now, and that's that's a good feeling to to have experience and have wisdom now that I can apply rather than just being young and ignorant and just, you know, trying to figure things out. It's like you put your 10,000 hours of practice, you, but you also put in your trial and error time. You fail and you learn and you, you grow and you expand as people. And that also expands your vision of what's possible. So mm-hmm. I would say artistically, right about that, I was on the roll too. <laughs> I, I got all of it and it's, it, it was, it came full circle, honestly, Charles, and I actually wanted to, I wanted to ask you as I'm listening to it, because you described how there's been this thread from the from the beginning, from your origins almost, of wanting to build that connection with other creators and just build this community of excellence almost. And I'm seeing how much you're lighting up by you being able to help other artists and creators. So my question is actually, is this spiritual work for you? Yeah, definitely. Like we, the reason I was delayed in this meeting is because I'm working on a record right now that's from a group of women who are part of this label. And the music that they're making is meditation music um, that's rooted in like, you know, understanding the chakras and creating music specifically around getting in tune with these different like energy meridians in your body, which is very different from anything I've ever been involved with and having the opportunity to allow people to have an infrastructure to express whatever their creative desires are is to me very important but also especially when the intention of the music is healing work so this project specifically that I'm doing that's literally what it's about it's about healing it's about reconnecting with spirit it's about um you know, it's about music specifically um, for healing and, and getting out of your own way. So for me, all of this is, is spiritual work because the true intention of what I'm trying to do is put music out there that can heal because the band really started because I had a broken heart and I was trying to find, I was trying to write music to help me express these feelings, you know? And so by creating this band and creating starting to write this music i was healing myself and then in turn when i finally put the music out there you know people would tell me like oh this song really touched me and all these things and so it's through that that i learned like oh it's bigger than just like getting people to like your music it's not even about that really it's about like you potentially having the power to put something out that can help somebody and that when I get lost, because I do, I think all artists um, potentially come face to face with their own kind of, you know, self-doubt or imposter syndrome, whatever you want to call it, where you kind of second guess, like, what is it? What am I doing? You know, every time I get lost, every time I get to that point where I doubt myself, I remember it's not about me. Like, it's about the fact that, like, somebody needs what I have to offer. And that if I don't do it, I'm denying that from somebody else. And I'm denying the possibility to, you know, to heal somebody or, or help somebody. And that 
I have this gift so that I can give it. So I always try to remember that, like all this music I get to make and all these things I get to do at the end of the day, it's not about me. You know, it's about the ability to touch somebody's life. Like my life was touched by somebody's song or somebody's work of art, you know? So it's all spirit work to me. It's kind of like, that's what I have to go back to when I get lost. Because of course, being an artist in a capitalist society is hard because you have to balance what you want to do, what your heart wants with making money. <laughs> but yeah, I will say it's spirit work because like being able to write to trace that thread for me is to say like, yeah, like the, the intentions of my 19 or 20 year old self are still, like I'm still honoring it. And obviously yes. like, I wasn't a kid then, but I was younger. And uh, like, that's, I'm always trying to still honor like my child, like the inner child of me. Like I'm the person I am now, but trying to remember the carefree spirit I was as a kid and like make sure that the person I am now, if the person, if me as a kid could see me now, like am I proud of myself? Like am I doing stuff that feels like I'm honoring the creator like that I was back then. Cause I feel like kids are so free when they create and they don't know, they don't know enough to put limitations on themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of like sticking to these goals and letting them evolve and letting them change, but sticking to them and not giving up allows me to honor that inner creator, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I would definitely say like this work is, for me at the at the core is about helping myself helping my community of peers but also being able to help you know the people who can benefit from whatever art we put out but also maybe the people the people who are like me who are on their own journeys who can benefit from mm. just even hearing the fact that like yeah like I didn't give up on myself and I'm seeing success now and what's beautiful about it is that I, all the things have evolved. I've not compromised from my original intentions of what I want to do, even though I feel like sometimes I lost my way or didn't wasn't necessarily in alignment. Like everything has led me back to the original intention of what I was trying to do this whole time. And so, some I think the more for whatever you're doing, whether it's starting a business or you know being an artist or being a teacher, whatever, whatever your intention behind doing it, if you can remain true to that. I think that grounds the work and it makes it more palpable. Like the best teachers, the best, the best in their field, I think always remember why they're doing it. And I think it can become stronger when that why is something more important than yourself. You know, like the why for me is not just about me. The why for me is about helping my communities, you know? And so that being able to stay committed to myself and these dreams knowing that the bigger purpose is helping people who are not myself is for me, that's the thing. That's what makes all this stuff worth it. And whenever I do get lost, that's what I try to remember. Like, Hey, this isn't about me. <laughs> Absolutely. Honestly, Charles, I feel like you, everything you said was so complete. And I love that you described how, it's not about you. It makes me think of how even when we create out of pain, it doesn't stop there. It actually transforms to be a place or a creation that heals 
beyond just us. It starts maybe with this like self from the self, um, but then it it can transform to be something that's cathartic for so many. It it makes this creative process like begin with something a little bit selfish or not even selfish in a negative way, but out of our own pain, a reaction. And when you take it to the next level, this from spirit, from that spiritual perspective of something that you surrender to, that's like, this is a human experience right now that I'm contributing to and I can support for others. That's a beautiful thing because it, it starts with yourself, but it doesn't end there. It, you know, you expand and you connect and you build a bridge with others. That's, that's what I, that's what it made me think of and feel. And I love that. And by the way, I say that all the time, what you just said with your inner child and like the, the little Charles, what was little Charles up to? And I truly feel that, that um, our creative practice, especially because it does, did start when we were younger, it's the thread between our inner child and we keep that alive. And so much in life can unfortunately break that down, whether it's trauma or capitalism and the economy, like all that stuff, it can very easily chip away at any connection to your inner joy, your inner child. And there's this gracious gift to stay in your practice. The same practice that you did so intuitively as a kid, like as your little one there, the age of, yeah. the, you know? It's so, it's so important. It's so, so important, you know? And that's like, what's it's not name? ready yet. Baby. What's it's the name ready. of our friend that's sitting there? Oh, this is Lotus. Hi, Lotus. Hello. Are you tired? Yes. Having a rough night. She woke up a little itchy, so I'm giving her some medicine to help her calm down and then put her back to bed. Your name what? is Lotus. You are calm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's such a wonder. And yeah, I think also that too, like parenting puts it on in perspective because I get to see little versions of, not myself, but like yeah different incarnations of you know my spirit transmuted with wherever they were before here you know and you know children have such a wisdom about them so it's just yeah i'm giving that bent a lot because she's she's still itching i don't know i put all the creams on her so i don't know what it is so take this and we'll put you to bed okay this is better yeah so yeah i think i mean I think that's the, for me, that's the golden thread is, there you go, baby. How do you honor that inner creator, which is most pure when you're a child? I love it. Charles, okay, I know you have to go do family things right now, obviously, but this was literally perfect. And again, like I said, everything the everything you communicated was so complete. Amazing. Like, I don't need to add anything to this. Not that I think that I should, but... It was so beautiful and like you can feel the wisdom that you have in your journey. Oh. I, feel it as, <laughs> I feel it as you talk. I'm so excited. I'll follow up on text to give me any links so I can make sure to share it when I post it on LinkedIn. Uh, mm-hmm. Link to the where people can get your the samples. And if I guess you haven't released it yet, the healing uh, thing, but if there's anything else to direct to your work, then uh, please. Yeah, I will put, we have some of those. We we did make some extended meditations that we put on YouTube. So I'll send that to you as well. Yeah. 
Good. Thanks, my love. See Thank you. you. I'm sorry it took so long for us to finally get, get it done, but I'm glad we did. It's all good. Perfect timing. I will see you in Rome next time I'm there, which I'm not sure when, but you know. Yes, no, next time you're here, just definitely hit me up. Good. Hey, thanks. Awesome. You have a good rest of your day. Oh, you too. Bye. All right.